you are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, February 3rd. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, the pandemic is still the top concern of Californians, a new poll finds, but most say the worst is behind us. Legislation seeks to make federal immigration courts independent, 22 PG&E employees have lost their fight for anonymity in court documents about the Paradise Fire. It's all coming up on the California Report. After regional news and weather, an essay from Molly Fisk and a fond farewell to Bravehearts. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. There are plenty of things for Californians to be worried about, from housing to crime to drought. But a new poll shows that COVID-19 pandemic still tops the list of concerns. Here's KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos. Nearly one-fifth of those polled by the Public Policy Institute of California say COVID-19 is the most important issue for state leaders to tackle in 2022. 13% named homelessness, and 12% cited jobs, the economy, and inflation. But Californians appear optimistic, with two-thirds saying the worst of the pandemic is behind us. And just months after beating an attempt to oust him in a recall election, Governor Gavin Newsom heads into this re-election year with 56% of Californians approving of the job he's done. The poll of more than 1,600 people took place in January. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. A state lawmaker is introducing legislation that would require school officials to collect information from parents about guns they store at home. KQED's Alex Hall has more. State Senator Anthony Portentino says Senate Bill 906 was inspired by a school shooting in Michigan in which a student used a gun purchased by his parents after he was allowed to remain on campus despite the concerns of school staff. We saw in Michigan that inaction and hesitancy sometimes can lead to tragedy. And so I'm requiring school districts, if you receive a credible threat, you must take steps to investigate that threat. And that investigation must be to search the locker, the backpack and the car of the person who's making the threat. The bill would also require school administrators to report suspected threats to law enforcement. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall. The nation's troubled immigration courts would get an overhaul under a bill being introduced today by San Jose Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. KQED's immigration editor, Tyke Hendricks, reports. Immigration courts decide issues like asylum and deportation, but they're plagued by a backlog of 1.6 million cases and lack due process protections. They're also controlled by the attorney general, who's appointed by the president. Lofgren says that leads to political meddling. The judges themselves are appointed by the Department of Justice. They're not at all independent. So it's not a real court in the way we think of, and the stakes are very, very high. Lofgren's plan would make the immigration courts independent, like bankruptcy court. Getting the bill through Congress could be tough, but Lofgren says it's not partisan. It's about the rule of law. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. 
Although the massive backlog at Southern California ports has eased in recent months, California's farm export industry is facing a financial crisis due to ongoing global shipping problems. At a joint committee hearing in Sacramento yesterday, Assemblyman Robert Rivas of Salinas, who chairs the Assembly Agriculture Committee, highlighted the effects port congestion has had on California farmers. New research indicates that from May to September of last year, port and supply chain congestion cost California farmers approximately 2.1 billion in ag exports, a loss more costly than the 2018 US-China trade war. Ultimately, this damages our state's economy and particularly our small family-owned farms, as well as our reputation abroad. Craig Durr, vice president of global sales and marketing for Campos Brothers Farm in the Central Valley, testified during the hearing. It is very discouraging to us, the California almond industry and all of California agriculture, that our export situation has not only not improved, but it continues to get worse. And Durr says 70% of Campos Brothers' almond crop is exported around the world. He argues cargo ships leaving ports without carrying goods isn't sustainable in the long run. The share of empty containers leaving California ports between May and August of 2021 was at 75% and hit a record 78% in September. That is a huge problem because those empty containers are needed to export agricultural products. Pre-2020, that percent of empties was 30% on average. As for possible solutions, the committee and experts suggested using the ports of Oakland and Stockton more for exports, rather than relying on the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. Assemblyman Patrick O'Donnell of Long Beach also suggested requiring terminals to commit to sending out a certain percentage of exports as part of their overall business plans. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adapting care. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. A state appeals court has rejected a bid by a group of 22 Pacific Gas and Electric employees to black out their names from evidence gathered during the criminal investigation into the 2018 campfire. KQED's Dan Brecky has more. As part of the probe into PG&E's role in starting the campfire, a Butte County grand jury heard from dozens of the company's workers. Employees who testified sued to stop the release of unredacted grand jury transcripts, saying they feared retaliation from those angry with the company. A judge approved redacting the names of workers living in or near Butte County, but did not agree to black out the names of 22 others who were not local. That group filed an appeal. Wednesday, a state appellate court upheld the lower court's ruling. PG&E said in a statement it was disappointed in the decision, but did not say whether it would appeal. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. 2022 is an election year, and more California counties will be making the switch from polling places to larger vote centers where people can cast their ballots over several days. KQED politics reporter Guy Maserati has more. 
Fifteen counties in California, including Fresno, Los Angeles, and Santa Clara, have already ditched the process of assigning each voter a polling place to vote on Election Day. Instead, under the Voters' Choice Act model, voters can cast ballots 10 days before the election at any vote center in the county, where they can also get language and disability assistance. Alameda, Riverside, and San Diego are among the 11 counties now adopting the Voters' Choice Act system. Studies have shown the switch from polling places to vote centers can boost turnout, though some election officials say the cost of offering 10 early voting days isn't always worth it. All voters in California will continue to get a ballot in the mail by default. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. And that is the California Report for Thursday, February 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow. In regional news, the Sacramento Bee reports today that a person with a gun opened fire on passengers of a Greyhound bus Wednesday evening in Oroville, killing a 43-year-old woman and injuring four other people. Two of the victims remain hospitalized in critical condition. Butte County District Attorney Michael Ramsey called the incident a mass shooting. It ended with law enforcement officers taking the suspected shooter, 21-year-old Asadi Elijah Coleman of Sacramento, into custody at a Walmart in Oroville, authorities said. At a news conference this morning, Oroville police and Butte County Sheriff's deputies said they responded around 7.30 Wednesday evening to multiple 911 calls reporting a shooting inside a bus parked at the AM-PM store at Feather River and Oroville Dam Boulevards. The Union newspaper of Grass Valley reports that Nevada County Superintendent of Schools Scott W. Lay will run for re-election this year, seeking his second full term. Lay was first appointed to the position by the County Board of Education in 2017 after Superintendent of Schools Holly Hermanson resigned. Lay was elected to his current term in 2018. Before becoming superintendent, Lay was principal and superintendent of Clear Creek Elementary School District for 16 years. Here's a distant early warning for folks who still have storm debris to dispose of. Nevada County Office of Emergency Services announced via Twitter today that free debris disposal will soon be available to Nevada County residents affected by the late December snowstorms. Storm-related green waste will be accepted for drop-off on three weekends in March and April at Millsite Road and East Bennett Street in Grass Valley. Residents can drop off brush, slash, and vegetative material generated from the snowstorms with no limit as to size or volume. Trash, treated wood, and root balls will not be eligible for disposal. Here's a reminder that, as reported by ubinet.com, State Route 174 will be closed in both directions this weekend for emergency tree removal work. The closure of 174 is scheduled from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Saturday and Sunday between Race Street and Empire Mine Road. And one last news item. Shirley Weber, California's Secretary of State, sent a letter to state agencies today confirming the total cost of last year's attempted recall of Governor Gavin Newsom at more than $200 million. Weber said the total statewide cost of the unsuccessful gubernatorial recall election included upwards of $174 million in county costs and more than $26 million in costs to the Secretary of State's office.
Turning to regional weather, the forecast for the next 10 days is similar to the past 10 days. Mild and sunny, with a warming trend through the middle of next week, with local and valley daytime highs rising into the mid-70s. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low of 39 with light and variable winds. Friday will be much the same as today, with a daytime high of 60 and a low of 43. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low of 9. Friday in Truckee, sunny with a high of 43 and a low of 13. In Sacramento this evening, clear with a low of 34. Friday in Sacramento, sunny with a high of 64 and a low of 36. Next up, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks with Betty Louise, one of the hosts of Brave Hearts, about her experience creating the long-running KVMR series as it comes to an end. I'm talking now with Betty Louise. She became a certified KVMR broadcaster in 2016 and since then has created and produced a series that we've aired here on our newscast on Thursdays called Brave Hearts. Betty Louise, it's good to talk with you. Thanks for having me. I'm sad to say that we aired the last episode of Bravehearts last Thursday. How long was this project? Yeah, well, I am looking at our episodes before me right now, and we started on August 27, 2020, and the last episode for now was on January 27th. So it was, you know, a year and several months. I've enjoyed listening to it every week. Do you have a favorite episode? You know... I have a couple of favorite episodes, you know, just for those who may not be that familiar with Bravehearts. Bravehearts was a story catching project where we caught stories of homeless people. And then I also spoke with the organizations working with homeless people in Nevada County and caught their stories and what their mission and what they did with homeless people. And so a couple of my favorite episodes, one is of a homeless woman uh, Gail Woodman, and her her son, David, actually was a part of the interview, and he has since passed. But they had such a beautiful story of, you know, Gail found herself homeless at 80 years old, and, you know, she was sleeping in the hospital parking lot, and they're kicking her out of there. But what struck me so much about the interview was she said, if I'm going to be a homeless person, I'm going to be the best homeless person possible. And that just so moved me because here she is in this horrible situation and she didn't go to any pity party or any victim state. She's just like, okay, this is my path now. I'm going to do this task the best I can. And then the other one was Alex Damogard, the Grass Valley Police Chief, and a couple of people that worked in their department. One of them was a police officer and the other one was a social worker. And they would go out and their mission a couple of days a week was to just go talk and connect with homeless people. And their mission was progressive engagement so that they could move these homeless people into services that would benefit them. But of course, there's a lot of resistance and there's a lot of mistrust. And so they are breaking down those walls with homeless people. And now they drive around and homeless people are waving to them. So that really moved me too. It's just these stories of success 
And I was just so proud of our police department for making that move. Did you have much experience with or or much contact with our homeless community before you embarked on this project? I actually did. Um, Susan Davis and I were business partners and, and still are. And we became really involved with Hospitality House First, with this project, Persons with Purpose, where we would stuff purses with things that homeless people needed. And we brought them over to Hospitality House and they were given to new people that came in that had nothing. In the intro to the series every week, you say that you hope to increase people's awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like. What are some of the misconceptions that you think people have about the homeless community? You know, I think they they feel like, oh, there's somebody that made a whole bunch of bad decisions. And this is a generalization. I want to make sure people understand. And I know everybody doesn't feel this way. But the misconceptions that I've seen out there are that, you know, they're afraid of homeless people. They think homeless people are dangerous. That some people even think they're criminals. and that is, that is just not the case. You know, yes, there are homeless people that are destructive and that are on drugs and alcohol. And there are also people that are destructive and on drugs and alcohol that live in homes. It's just that homeless people, they don't have any, any screens from that. You know, everybody gets to see all of their stuff, if you will. And so, you know, I just want people to understand that homeless people are just like us. They have feelings, they have desires, they, you know, want things to be better for them. And that that's an important thing to understand is that they're no different than you. They are human beings. Betty Louise, in your opinion, what are some things that people can do? What are some direct actions that people can take to help the homeless? I would say the simplest thing that people can do is when they see someone they think is homeless, to acknowledge them. Don't look away. Don't pretend like they don't exist. And if you have it in you, smile at them. You don't even have to say anything to them, but just smile at them. See, Let them know that you see them and that they're not invisible. That's one very, very simple thing that you can do that doesn't take much effort. It just takes a different different approach, a different attitude, a different perception. Um, the other thing is we have some incredible organizations in this county, and they all need help with volunteers. Well said. Finally, Betty Louise, what's on the horizon for you? What's next? Well, one of the things that's next, we did a short film that we will complete by the end of June. And that film outlines the story of one of our longtime homeless people in the community who was homeless, living in Pioneer Park for years and years. That's going to be a great culmination of, you know, both what we learned in Bravehearts as well as what we've learned from A Place to Call Home, which was the previous grant that we wrote. I've been talking with Betty Louise, one of the creators and producers of Bravehearts, a series that collected the stories of some of our local homeless people and explored some of the services available to them. Betty Louise, it was really good to talk with you. Thank you, Claudia. I appreciate you too. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, 
Observations from a Working Poet. On the way from my house to today's coffee shop, I started writing a radio essay in my head. And by the time my friend Sarah showed up, 2.4 miles and 20 minutes later, I could not remember a single thing about it. I know you people of a certain age understand this phenomenon all too well. My friends and I roll our eyes and say, preview of coming attractions. Because the universe has a sense of humor, I'm sure I'll remember the subject just after I finish writing this commentary. I have three close friends in their 80s now and spend a lot of time with them. Then I have a smattering of friends in every decade down to my niece in her 20s. It is very clear from my perch at 66 and a half that the younger people, even the 50-somethings, have no idea what it's like to get old. I probably have no idea either, and I feel like I'm already 112. What seems the most common and sad is how an older person's past exploits become invisible. Being on What's My Line in a bikini while Soupy Sales draws an American flag on your beautiful, firm stomach, or sitting in a tree with Leonard Cohen eating ice cream cones. These things weren't really visible in the first place. After the cones were finished, no one would have seen my friend walking down the L.A. street and said, there goes a buddy of Leonard Cohen full of pistachio ice cream. But the swing in her step, something about her aura, would have signaled the possibility of magic that her slower progress this week from car to grocery store does not. Did we always treat our elders like the husks of beetles instead of treasure chests? By we, I mean the dominant U.S. media-driven youth-worshipping culture. Other people seem to have both reverence and patience for aging. I keep remembering John Prine's song that Bed Midler covered so well, Hello in There, about the way older people can feel lonely and forgotten. There was a meme on social media this week about Neil Young leaving Spotify to protest COVID misinformation that summed it up. People under 30 say, who's Neil Young? People from 30 to 60 say, is Neil Young still alive? And people over 60 say, what's Spotify? I don't mean to depress you or myself either. I'm merely watching the world go by. I recently finished writing a book and have a lot of open space in my head, available to be filled with the larger issues of life, like, oh no, I'm getting old too. Help! Especially in these days of pandemic shadow and climate crisis, the big engines of capitalism and American isolationism seem more clear and the damage they do more obvious. If I'm lucky enough to reach my 80s, which would be outliving nearly all my forebears, I may decide to wear a sandwich board so people can't ignore me. Hey, it will say, I used to be pretty cute too. Or maybe by then I will have gotten wiser and stopped caring what anyone thinks of me. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. 
That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's Making Contact. While black women have played a critical role in the development of the nation, their stories have been mostly overlooked. In their book, A Black Women's History of the United States, Dana Ramey Berry and Callie Nicole Gross honor the many significant contributions of black women who have worked to build this country and fight for social justice. At 7, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And Ag Natural and Grass Valley Hydro Garden, offering organic gardening essentials and greenhouse supplies, including organic amendments and lighting systems. Located near downtown Grass Valley at 403 Idaho, Maryland Road. Online, agnatural.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us tomorrow at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.